0: Letter ten of Evelina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Evelina, by Fanny Burney. Letter ten. Evelina to the Reverend Mr. Villars, Queen Anne Street, London, Saturday, April second. This moment arrived, just going to Drury Lane Theatre. The celebrated Mr. Garrick performs Ranger!—I am quite in ecstasy!—So is Miss Mervyn!—How fortunate that he should happen to play!—We would not let Mrs. Mervyn rest till she consented to go. Her chief objection was to our dress, for we have had no time to Londonise ourselves. But we teased her into compliance, and so we are to sit in some obscure place that she may not be seen. As to me, I should be alike unknown in the most conspicuous or private part of the house. I can write no more now. I have hardly time to breathe. Only just this. The houses and streets are not quite so superb as I expected. However, I have seen nothing yet, so I ought not to judge. Well, adieu, my dearest sir, for the present. I could not forbear writing a few words instantly on my arrival, though I suppose my letter of thanks for your consent is still on the road. Saturday night— Oh, my dear sir, in what raptures am I returned! Well may Mr. Garrick be so celebrated, so universally admired! I had not any idea of so great a performer! Such ease, such vivacity in his manner, such grace in his motions, such fire and meaning in his eyes! I could hardly believe he had studied a written part, for every word seemed to be uttered from the impulse of the moment. His action! at once so graceful and so free—his voice so clear, so melodious, yet so wonderfully various in its tone!—Such animation!—every look speaks!—I would have given the world to have had the whole play acted over again!—And when he danced—oh, how I envied Clorinda!—I almost wished to have jumped on the stage and joined them!—I am afraid you will think me mad, so I won't say any more yet yet I really believe Mr. Garrick would make you mad, too, if you could see him. I intend to ask Mrs. Mervyn to go to the play every night while we stay in town. She is extremely kind to me, and Maria, her charming daughter, is the sweetest girl in the world. I shall write to you every evening all that passes in the day, and that in the same manner as, if I could see, I should tell you." Sunday This morning we went to Portland Chapel. And afterwards, we walked in the mall of St. James's Park, which by no means answered my expectations. It is a long, straight walk of dirty gravel, very uneasy to the feet, and at each end, instead of an open prospect, nothing is to be seen but houses built of brick. When Mrs. Mervyn pointed out the palace to me, I think I was never much more surprised. However, the walk was very agreeable to us. Everybody looked gay and seemed pleased and the ladies were so much dressed, that Miss Mervyn and I could do nothing but look at them. Mrs. Mervyn met several of her friends. No wonder, for I never saw so many people assembled together before. I looked about for some of my acquaintance, but in vain, for I saw not one person that I knew, which is very odd, for all the world seemed there. Mrs. Mervyn says we are not to walk in the park again next Sunday, even if we should be in town, because there is better company in Kensington Gardens. But really, if you had seen how much everybody was dressed, you would not think that possible." Monday We are to go this evening to a private ball, given by Mrs. Stanley, a very fashionable lady of Mrs. Mervyn's acquaintance. We have been a-shopping, as Mrs. Mervyn calls it, all this morning, to buy silks, caps, gauzes, and so forth. The shops are really very entertaining, especially the Mercers. There seem to be six or seven men belonging to each shop and every one took care by bowing and smirking to be noticed. We were conducted from one to another, and carried from room to room with so much ceremony, that at first I was almost afraid to go on. I thought I should never have chosen a silk, for they produced so many I knew not which to fix upon, and they recommended them all so strongly, that I fancy they thought I only wanted persuasion to buy everything they showed me, and indeed they took so much trouble, that I was almost ashamed I could not at the milliners, the ladies we met were so much dressed, that I should rather have imagined they were making visits than purchases. But what most diverted me was, that we were more frequently served by men than by women. And such men—so finical, so affected! They seemed to understand every part of a woman's dress better than we do ourselves, and they recommended caps and ribbons, with an air of so much importance, that I wished to ask them how long they had left off wearing them. The dispatch with which they work in these great shops is amazing, for they have promised me a complete suit of linen against the evening. I have just had my hair dressed. You can't think how oddly my head feels—full of powder and black pins, and a great cushion on the top of it. I believe you would hardly know me, for my face looks quite different to what it did before my hair was dressed. When I shall be able to make use of a comb for myself, I cannot tell, for my hair is so much entangled—frizzled, they call it—that I fear it will be very difficult. I am half afraid of this ball to-night. For you know, I have never danced but at school. However, Miss Mervyn says, there is nothing in it. Yet, I wish it was over. Adieu, my dear sir, pray excuse the wretched stuff I write. Perhaps I may improve by being in this town, and then my letters will be less unworthy your reading. meantime I am your dutiful and affectionate though unpolished evelina, poor Miss Mervyn cannot wear one of the caps she made because they dress her hair too large for them. End of letter ten.